This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, were, they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural, natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, insolent, haughty, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Thank you. Truth is important, but also the way that you arrive at that truth is also really, really important. And you know this if you've ever helped a kid do their math. So uh, what's the answer? Um, 21. Oh, good job. So how'd you get there? I guessed. 
not good. You need to know how to get to the right answer. So the journey to the truth is also important as the truth is important. Now today, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna lead you on a journey. I wanna get to a vital life application. And I was tempted to kind of start out the message with that being my big idea. This is the big idea, the vital life application. But I thought better as I studied the text, prayed and thought about it, we're gonna get there at the end. We're gonna arrive at the vital life application after going on a journey uh, through truth. So here we are in Romans, we're in Romans chapter one, and we've just now kind of got to the uh, port, uh, part of the uh, epistle where Paul begins to jump in to his deep theology and his theological foundations for some of the things he's already said. And so we've got the introduction, we've got his desire to go to Rome, his desire to preach the gospel. Last week we heard of the fact he was not ashamed of the gospel, but now begins to unpack the reason Matt rightly said last week that Romans 1, 16 and 17 could really be one of the key theme verses of the entire book. But now we're diving into the theology that's driving those truths. And what I'm gonna do, we're gonna get as far as verse 25 today, but we're gonna walk back through this text to arrive at this vital life application. I wanna step you through there. Now, I'm gonna do that this way. Paul is making a very specific, distinct argument that, listen, has huge life applications for us in 2023. We need this truth, we need to see it and understand that there's a vital life application for us and what is here, man, it, is, it applies to us. And what I wanna do though is I wanna kinda start where Paul kinda ends and I wanna build back this argument to really see how he works through it. I think it's gonna help us understand how important this is. So to do that, I wanna get down to what today, the argument we're working through today, what the key kind of conclusion of that is, and I want you to look at verse number 20. Take a look at verse number 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Now here's the phrase that I want you to land on. This is where we're starting from. So they are without excuse. They are without excuse. So here's the first kind of point, the first kind of argument. We're starting at the end, working our way back, but write this down. No one has an excuse before God. No one does. Now, it says, for they do not have an excuse. Who are the they? Well, to understand that, let's jump back to verse number 18, because you need to see the all-inclusive language that Paul uses in verse number 18. Uh, so here's the verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed against Okay, I want you to make sure you're looking because I'm gonna have you fill some words in for me, okay? So here's verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their uh, unrighteousness suppress the truth. So you have the word all there. Now, I remember this, my pastor would say growing up all the time, all means all, and that's all that all can mean. So here is the word all. This is all mankind, all mankind. So they are without excuse. They are all mankind. It's everybody, which means then no one has an excuse before God. Do you know that everyone will stand before God? 
And what are they gonna say? What's gonna be their excuse? And Paul says, no one has an excuse. Now, if I were to stand up here any given Sunday morning and I were to say, all men are sinners, you would probably say, amen, that's right. Uh, no one deserves to go to heaven. You'd probably say, amen, amen, all right. But when you begin to work those implications out into real life stuff, it's a lot harder to swallow. Like, what do you do with that Amazon native who's never heard the gospel? I mean, imagine standing before God and God saying, you're condemned to hell because you didn't believe in Jesus. He's saying, whoa, 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 hold on a second. I've never heard about Jesus. And then God's saying, you're still without excuse. So when you put it in that light, man, that's really hard to wrap our minds around. And there'd be several points of truth that I'm gonna be unpacking today that are tough to understand and hard to swallow. But remember, this is the word of God. This is the Bible written by him. So what it says is right and true. And what it just said there is all men stand before God and they are without excuse. True of the Amazon native, for sure true of the well-educated neighbor, for sure true of the family member, the coworker, everyone. So that's important to understand. That's an important truth, but also how do you get there? What's the journey to that truth? So let's take a step back in the argument then. So we land here at verse number 20 and it says, they are without excuse. Paul goes on to kind of work through that in verse number 21. So take a look at Romans 1, 21 now. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So write this truth down as well. Uh, No one has an excuse before God because they did not honor him as God. That's why. They did not honor him as God. And the text is very specific. It says, they didn't honor him as God, nor did they give thanks. In short, they never worshiped this God. Now, to really get our minds around this, you have to understand a theological concept of common grace. Everyone say common grace. What is common grace? What does that mean? Well, here's basically what it means. There are incredible, wonderful, rich blessings that everybody gets to enjoy. Any human on the planet gets some and lots of actually wonderful gifts, common grace of God. Let's just take one example this morning and let's talk cherry tomatoes. Can't I get a witness? Uh, in the summertime, I love cherry tomatoes. I, mean, I get a little addicted to these things. And um, you take this cherry tomato and, and it's, it's sweet and it's a little bit tart and aren't they good, aren't they great? And, and all you do is stick some seeds in the ground and water and boom, you got more cherry tomatoes than you ever want in your life. And, and, and then, oh, you sprinkle a little salt on them and you get the tangy and the salt. And salt, what's salt? But a mineral you find in the ground and you grind it up and you put it on food and it tastes good. And that's just tomatoes and salt. Think about the incredible blessings that God gives everyone. You all live in a house? I'm quite sure, yeah, okay. That house is materials 
from the creation that God's given us. And the knowledge of how to put that all together so that not only do we have a house, but it's filled with TV and complex electronics and all of that is knowledge given to us by a gracious God. And everybody gets to experience that. By the billions people are enjoying, and even at the, at the very base of it, you see a sunrise, you see a sunset, you look at the beauty of creation all around us. And so what does men do with that? What do people do? Do they stop and give God thanks? God, thank you for these delicious cherry tomatoes. Thank you for my iPhone. Do we stop and give God thanks and glorify him and honor him? No, most mankind turn around and as the text says, they worship the creature. In fact, take a look if you would at verse number 25, which explains exactly what men do with all of this because they, look at this, they exchange the truth about God for a, what does your Bible say? A lie, keep that in mind, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. So God has given everybody, everyone, everyone, beautiful common grace, beautiful blessings, and what have they done instead? Well, they've turned and worshiped something else. They worship themselves. That's the religion of the day, right? Self-worship, Matt was talking about this last week and we're so very good about you know, self-affirmation and self-worship and you're amazing and you're unique and you're special and self-love is not just the language of the world, it has definitely creeped and became the language of the church as well. If we worship ourselves, we worship things that God has given us. It's one thing to enjoy a glass of wine, it's another thing entirely is that wine becomes your comfort and your security and your joy, and if not wine, then chocolate. Now you're convicted, all right. We worship one another, celebrities and each other on social media as we observe each other's very curated lives and think our lives aren't as good, and boy, that person, she's got it all together. No, she doesn't. We worship all kinds of things instead of worshiping God. Listen, God has been so very good to mankind that mankind has stopped to worship this kind or failed to worship this kind, loving, and good God. Again, this is all. All inclusive language of verse number 18. This is everybody. But I need to pause just for a second and ask you, before we leave this point, a few key questions. Have some cherry tomatoes this week? I did. <laughs> I had I got the big 32-ounce one, and, and it like popcorn, baby, just down to them all myself. Uh, did you stop and thank God for, if not the cherry tomatoes, well, how about whatever it is you do enjoy, anything that you have? Do we pause and give God the glory and give God the thanks? God, thank you for this pork chop. God, thank you for this whatever car I'm driving and the technology you've given us to keep me safe in it. So many things that God has given us. Do we stop and think that? But you know what ends up happening a lot of times is that we think more about the stuff that we don't have and want, the things that are a part of our life that we don't want a part of our life and we begin to question God's goodness and to be frustrated with God. And where have you served the creation more than the creator? 
where have you put your security and comfort and significance or, or pleasure in other than God? Some things to consider. But now the argument could be, okay, Pastor, hold on a second. You're saying that, that no one has an excuse because uh, they, they haven't worshiped God, but what if they don't believe there is a God? What if they've done all the research and all the science and they've come to the conclusion that God doesn't exist? What if they don't know God? And so write this down. No one has an excuse before God because they did not uh, honor him as God. Uh, And here's point number three, even though they certainly knew him. Okay, you ready for another truth that's kind of like, is this really true? Is this actually true? And it actually is true because the Bible is going to very certainly assert it. And I want your eyes to fall on verse number 21 because you'd say, well, what if they didn't know? Well, didn't they know? Because the Bible says they did know. Take a look at verse 21. For although they, what does your Bible say? Knew God. Who is this again? Who's the they? Well, all of mankind, and all means all, and that's all that all can mean. And here what's clearly saying is they all knew God. In fact, the language gets very, very direct uh, back in verses 19 and 20. So go back to verse 19 and 20 for a second and look at this. Backing up a little bit, says this. For what may be known about God is, church, look at this plain to them. Why? Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Look at the language of the text. They knew it was plain to them. It's clearly perceived. You say plain to them, you may say it doesn't seem like it's very plain to them. It seems like what's plain to most people is that we didn't, weren't created at all. That we just kind of randomly evolved out of the pre-mortal soup and somehow got legs and somehow got a tail and somehow came out and became monkeys and all the rest. That seems what's plain to mankind since still today, the number one scientific explanation of the origin of all things is naturalistic evolution. I mean, you would think what's plain to them is that, boy, follow the science, follow the science, and you get to the end of this. You, you know that it's not, a, it, it's not a creation, it's, it's, it's random chance, and like, no, 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 follow the science, it's gonna really lead you someplace else. They don't have reason on their side, they certainly don't have science on their side. When you begin to study science, especially microbiology, it is mind-blowing what you discover when you see it. You get to these things called irreducible complexities, which are things like the eyeball. It's a good example commonly used. You know the eyeball, does, this is not the eyeball, by the way. Uh, but uh, when you get down to the eyeball, it's like that thing doesn't work unless all the pieces are together. You can't just have a little bit of the eyeball, then another little bit, then another little bit over thousands and millions of years evolved. It's either all there or it doesn't work. 
And the same thing is true. This is actually a diagram of the tail of a flagellum. You know, the little bacteria that moves around in your cells, microscopic, tiny little thing. And if you investigate and look at this tail, it has rings and motors and pistons, and it's incredible how complex these things are. And without all of it, it doesn't work. Irreducible complexities. And what is absolutely crazy is they know. Do you know who Richard Dawkins is? So Richard Dawkins wrote several books. He wrote The Blind Watchmaker, which is about design and trying to come against design. He wrote Climbing Mount Improbable. He's a very um, verbal atheist. And uh, uh, he said this. He said... Um, Biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. <laughs> uh-huh, because, Rich, they were. The uh, co-discoverer of DNA, Francis Crick, said this. Check this out. Biologists must constantly keep in mind that what they see was not designed, but rather evolved. Because why? It really looks like it was designed. They're not missing it. The text says, who made it known to them? God made it known to them. God doesn't miscommunicate, right? We miscommunicate like all the time, right? You know, if you're married, I'm sure you've had a miscommunication before. Hey, why didn't you do the dishes? Well, I didn't know you wanted them to be done. Well, with the dishwasher full of dishes, I said last night, hey, this dishwasher is really full. I thought you'd pick up the hint and get the dishwasher running, you know. Weren't you supposed to pick up that kid? Well, I thought you were gonna pick him. Well, I thought you were gonna pick him up. And you know, we miscommunicate all the time. Can God miscommunicate? If God wants to make himself clear, can he make him clear? No, he has made themselves clear. The evidence is there, they know. So then what's going on? What do you do with atheists? Well, here's our text written nearly 2,000 years ago that tells us exactly what's going on. Go back to verse number 18, and you'll see exactly what's happening. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, here it is, who by their unrighteousness, read these next three words with me, suppress the truth. It's not that they don't know. They push it down. Well, what can be known? What can be known? Well, the text reveals three things that can be known. Verse number 20, if you look at verse number 20, it says this, his eternal power and his Godhead, his eternal power and his Godhead. So the fact that he's a powerful God and the fact that he is God can be clearly known. And the other thing that is clearly revealed, verse number 18, is the fact that he's a God of wrath for his wrath has been 
clearly revealed. Now, is this hell? Yes, but it is not limited to hell. And as we go through the next portion of this text, we're actually gonna unpack what is that wrath of God. It's multifaceted, and it is something that people are experiencing for sure in the days in which we live. But let me say this. Uh, there is uh, those things that are revealed, clearly revealed. That is what he has revealed, that he is a God, he is powerful, and he is a God of wrath. But now look at this. How are they revealed? How are they revealed? Well, verse number 20 says this, for ever since the creation of the world, I love this, in the things that have been made, because that Greek word behind that little phrase, the things that have been made, that Greek word, you're gonna know it. I'm gonna say the English word, and if you listen carefully, you're gonna be, I, I'm gonna say the Greek word. If you listen carefully, you're gonna be like, oh, that sounds like this word, and this is where we get that word. So here's the Greek word. You ready for it? Poema, which sounds like poem. It's only used twice in all the New Testament by Paul here, and also in Ephesians chapter two, where he says, you are his workmanship. You are his poema, you are his poem. And God looks at creation and says, this is my poem. This is what I've done, I love that. It's, there's order, there's structure, there's artistry, there's beauty, there's rhyme, there's, there's rhythm, all of that. So they clearly look at all these things in God and they just push the truth down. They push it down. Who does? Church, who? All means all, and that's all that all can mean. People do not study science and arrive at the logical fact that this all just happened by chance. You study science and you arrive at the logical fact that somebody created this. There is a designer. You don't reason your way to atheism. No, no, no. You push down the truth, what's clearly seen, what's clearly perceived, and you push it down, and you push it down because you don't want to answer to a God. You want to, according to the text, live your life, live in your own pleasures, your foolish heart becomes darkened, and you just do what you want to do, and you want to answer to no one, and so therefore, you arrive at that conclusion, you press that truth down. So listen, does this impact our evangelism? Should it impact our evangelism? This is really important now because it, here's what's easy to do, and I've done this. You get caught into the science and the reason arguments with people because we can win them, right? We can. We can win them. We have all the evidence to win both the science argument and the reason argument. We can go through those, and I did this back when AOL, was it, remember AOL? American Online, remember all that? That was like the first, some of you do, like the, when the internet first got started and you'd be like, you've got mail, that whole like, oh yeah, glorious thing. Uh, and, and I got into these, I'd go to Christian chat, there's chat rooms where you go and there's people coming in, you're chatting, this is you know, in the late 90s, so it was like so cool and you're chatting with people and you're talking and, and what would happen are these atheists would come into Christian chat rooms and, and, and would just, tear Christians apart about you guys are believing this mythic genie in the sky and all these things and the Christians and they just did not have a defense for it. So I'd get in there and I'd be like, oh yeah, you wanna play that game, buddy? I got your, I got your numbered and I'd go in and, and throw out all the science and throw out all the things and the reasons and all of that and 
I love to say. And then one time we were at you know, three in the morning going through it and finally he said, you're right, I've been wrong this whole time and I wanna give my life to Jesus. But that never happened. John Whitcomb, who used to be on staff over here at Grace Monona Lake, who was really one of the guys to get this um, creation movement and science, you know, the whole thing kind of moving together. And John Whitcomb said he has never lost a debate with an evolutionist, never. But he also said, I've never won an evolutionist through debate. Because listen, you're not going after the mind. This text reveals it. You're not going after the mind. You're not going after reason and science. You're going after the will. And you're going after the heart. And so really important, they know him, but they don't want to believe him. And so they press it down. Now you need to ask yourself, why does someone not want to believe in God? And that's the beginning point of really trying to figure out how do I lead them there? Because we need to, because there's the last truth that I wanna get us to before we arrive at the vital life application. So no one has an excuse before God because they did not honor him as God, even though they certainly knew him. And here's this last important phrase here. And they will face his wrath. For the wrath of God, verse 18 says, the wrath of God is revealed. Now I hope what that does in your heart is set your feet on a different ground. There, there, there are times when we have to stand and be apolog apologists, right? We have to defend the faith and God's word calls us to defend the faith. But there are also times when what we really need to do is have a heart of compassion and love because not only will they experience and face the wrath of God for eternity, but many of them right now, according to this text, are living the consequences of this life and they are right now experiencing the wrath of God. And I, and I don't wanna fuel your passion to win an argument. I don't wanna give you all the facts and all the data to go and crush the silly liberal what I want to do is stir in your heart to have compassion for your neighbor. To love them. Which leads us to our vital life application. And it's this. We are under obligation to share with us the others the rescuing power of the gospel. We are under obligation to share with others the rescuing power of the gospel. Choosing my words carefully because what I'm trying to do is show you now what Paul has been trying to say. Paul is now in verses 18 going forward given the theological explanation for a couple of things he's already said. So I want you to go back and look at this in Romans chapter one again and I want you to see this in the text. He says, let's start in verse number eight. First, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you because of your faith is proclaimed in all the world. And I'm giving praise, I'm thanking Jesus because your faith is proclaimed. For God is my witness, so I'm served with my spirit in the gospel of his son 
Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking somehow by God's will that I may at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may mutually be encouraged by one another's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but this far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among uh, you as well as the rest of the Gentiles. And then he says in verse 14, for I am under obligation. Why? Because Paul knew everybody will stand before God and nobody, nobody has an excuse now, the pagan Roman who worships all these false gods, they have no excuse. That the person has never heard the gospel at all, they have no excuse. And so as we sit around and we watch Fort Wayne, a very church city, where the gospel has certainly been proclaimed for decades, and many have heard it, but even those who haven't have seen enough and they will face the wrath of God. But we have something. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of God because it is the power of God for salvation, church to who? To everyone who believes. to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is for everybody, the all-inclusive language. I'm obligated because I have the power to save them right here. This truth of the gospel, why would I hide that? Why would I not live a life to proclaim and make that known? It's so easy, isn't it, just to fall asleep in this stuff? To get up tomorrow morning and you're gonna go to work and you're gonna past people and you're gonna, people are gonna cut you off in traffic because that's what Fort Wayne drivers do. They just love to, you put your turnstile on to merge over and what do they do? Speed up and I need to have compassion. You need Jesus. That's why you did that. I'm under obligation. I know the answer. But it's the power it's the power of God to save them. So, so, so let, let's just think about what this looks like here in Fort Wayne. All of Fort Wayne's without excuse because all of Fort Wayne has not honored him as God, even though they might go to church and their hearts are not there, though they certainly knew and they're gonna face his wrath, but we, church, have the answer. Now, we were talking about this in my small group because this is, obviously really, really important. And I think then, like, like, how do you do it, right? Like, how do you do it? So, pastor, you're up here saying, go preach the gospel. We're under obligation. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. That, so does that mean then that tomorrow what you need to do is, everybody listen up, stand up in your cubicle. All right, everyone, listen up. I got something to tell you. You're all sinners going to hell and you need Jesus. Any questions, come see me in my cubicle. Have a great day and bring some coffee. I mean, is that how you do it? Is that, is that gonna get, I mean, look, I, look, God can use that. And there are people who are proclaiming on the streets and who are preaching Jesus and people are getting saved. And I am not gonna discourage anyone from standing and preaching Christ. But I don't know that that's the way that all of us should go about handling this whole thing. So what do you do? How do you share the gospel in a society like ours, in a day and age like ours? How do you do it? 
Well, we have really wanted to equip you with that. So on the screen, you're gonna see, I'm gonna put this up here. I'm gonna give you kind of four steps and then a tool. We've used a tool in the past. We just can't figure out the right name for it. So I used to call it the neighbor plan. I've called it the outreach tool. And then we thought we were clever and did the personal strategic outreach tool, kind of going along with our, um, our distinctives. And so around the office, we call it the PSOT. And that's just the worst name of them all. So that's like a terrible name. So we gotta figure it out. But here's the idea. Here's the idea behind it. Okay, so I live this life. I'm supposed to be a witness. How do I do this? Well, listen, what you do is you pick out some people that are in your circle, that are in your sphere of influence. It could be a coworker. It could be an actual neighbor. It could be a friend, whatever, who doesn't know the Lord. You're gonna choose that person. And what you're gonna do is you're gonna begin to just reach out and love them. It could be having them over to your house. It could be going over to their house. It could be all kinds of things. And I know you're busy. I know your kids got 65 different travel things that they do. I get all of that. But I, I'm not asking you to plan another meal. I'm asking you to add another chair to the table. Does that make sense? Bring them along in your life. Love them well. And then what you're gonna do is as you contact them and, and you're, you're gonna listen to how to care for them. What do they need right now? How can I show them the love of Christ? And so you're gonna spend some time contacting them and loving them, hearing their needs and caring. You're being intentional about this. You have people in mind. You're doing this intentionally and you're reaching out. But eventually what you're gonna do is you're gonna communicate the gospel. They're gonna see that love. They're gonna feel that love. You're not trying to win the mind. You're trying to win the heart. And you do that through loving interaction. And so you're gonna eventually then win the opportunity of saying, this is what Christ has done for me. Can I share it with you? It's changed everything about me. Hopefully by then, they've seen it and heard it. And so now they have this. And then you just keep doing that. Number four is continue. Keep going. Keep doing that. Keep that moving and see what God will do. So there's an actual document that we give you step-by-step uh, -step, things to fill out. You can fill that document out if it's helpful. Again, the QR code is there. You can download that. Um, but if you just keep these four things in mind, connect with people, contact people, care for them, communicate the gospel to them, keep going. Uh, you might be amazed at how God will use that. This is lifestyle evangelism is what we're talking about here, and see what God will do with all of that. I'm gonna pray, because when I stop and think about what God can do to a church who loves the word of God, and you do, to a church who gives generously, and you do, when we really begin to understand what it looks like to live this out, to live on mission, to be intentional of loving people in our world, winning the chance to share Christ with them. i just excited to think what God can do with you and your friends and your family as you preach the gospel. So God, we know that we can't open up a single eye to understand, a heart to believe, certainly not. Only you can. But we have something amazing something that has saved us and rescued us. And we need to share it. Father, it's time for us to wake up. For me, Jamie Hart, to wake up. It's time for me to lift my eyes and see that the fields are ripe to harvest in a world where it feels like it's so cold and so anti 
Christianity. Lord, when the darkness is dark, the light shines brighter, and please help us be lights and to never hide it, to never be ashamed, but to be intentional about sharing your son. And then, Father, the stories of grace that you will write are gonna be so fun to witness and so fun to watch as you use us in this way. Give us boldness, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Redemption, you are loved.